Thank you for joining us at the First Baptist Church of Coleraine, Massachusetts. It is our prayer that this message will encourage the believer and bring the unbeliever closer to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this morning we are blessed to have Pastor Renzo Ventris back with us to fill in for Pastor Jim while they are on vacation. And so I look forward to what the Lord has laid on his heart for us this morning. I like his title, Running Your Race Until You See Jesus' Face. Pastor? Good morning, First Baptist Church of Coleraine. Are you thankful that God gave you another day to live? If you did, say hallelujah. All right, you're in the house of God today, and I am honored to be here. My wife sends her greetings. I told her at 11, it's 11.30. I said at 11.30, I want you to be praying for the Holy Spirit to anoint the word of God and bless the brothers and sisters of this precious church. <clears throat> I uh, just want to, brothers and sisters uh, from Redemption Gate Mission Society, where I'm a pastor and evangelist, send their greetings to you from Springfield, Massachusetts. And my dear friend, Mark Huerta, is here among us. Mark, if you could please stand. He's very humble, but that's one of my best friends in my whole life along with Steve Driscoll and many other friends that we had the privilege of ministering with uh, when we were worshiping here in Franklin County about 30 years ago. I want to thank you, brother, for being my friend and for taking the time to drive almost 80 miles to come here on your way to North Adams. So I just want to make him welcome today. If you would kindly turn to the Word of God in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 3... Philippians chapter 3, and as you're turning to Philippians chapter 3, running your race until you see Jesus' face. I also titled this, I gave this also a second title, and it's called Forgetting, Forgiving, and Following God's Future for Your Life. Forgetting, Forgiving, and Following God's Future for Your Life. Why are there two titles to this sermon? I don't know. I, I just believe that that's what the Holy Spirit wanted me to, to explain to you from the Word of God. Let's just pray before we open up the Word. Precious Father in heaven, in the mighty name of Jesus, we come before your presence today with thanksgiving in our hearts, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We ask that your anointing would be upon the Word of God, and we ask that the purpose that the Holy Spirit had when the Scriptures were written in the Mamertine prison, in a Roman jail. That same purpose that was written almost 2,000 years ago, I pray you would help me to explain this purpose and help us most of all to be doers of the word and not hearers only. I pray, Lord, for this congregation in the churches of uh, New England, the earth, especially our nation. I thank you, Lord. I ask that you would send revival in our hearts. I pray, God, that you would begin to do a powerful, permanent work of change in our lives so that we might be able to reach our families, our, our friends, our foes, and our communities. Help us, Lord Jesus, to turn our communities upside down for Christ. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be beginning in verse 1 
we're going to be reading until we get to verse 16. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are of the circumcision. We, it is, uh, for we worship God by the Spirit of God, and we glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have re- reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, well, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Precious Holy Spirit, we invite you right now, Lord. You live in our hearts, but we are asking your powerful anointing upon your holy word. This word that martyrs died to communicate and to bring into other nations. I pray, Holy Spirit, break thou the bread of life to us. May Jesus Christ and the Father be glorified and God's people be strengthened to run their race until they see Jesus' face. And God's people said, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen and amen. I also entitled this message, Forgetting, Forgiving, and Following God's Future for You. Forgetting what's past. I'm thinking about 
uh, a book I read in seminary. Maybe some of you have also read this book uh, by Gordon uh, Fee. It's about making the Bible simple. And commentator Gordon Fee, who just went home to be with the Lord, I think, last year, recalls the famous Miracle Mile. The first time in the history of the world that two runners ran under four minutes in the same race. Roger Bannister and John Landy competed in Vancouver, British Columbia in 1954. And Landy had held all the way. But coming around the final turn toward the finish line, he looked over his shoulder to the left to find out that Bannister was only to be passed on the other side, beaten to the tape. You can't worry about what's behind you. You need to lean into the run and give it all you've got, keeping your eyes on the prize. And what a finish it will be someday. And what is our goal? And what is our prize? It is the heavenward call of God in Christ Jesus. And in life, there is nothing more important, nothing finer. When you and I see Jesus' face, we will say that this race was worth it all. Running your race until you see Jesus' face. Unfortunately, in America, many Christians have, haven't grown in spiritual maturity. And because of that, the result of that is the next generation is robbed of spiritual mentors. Those of us who are older gentlemen, remember, I may have told you this last year in a previous sermon, my son was in the Coast Guard, and I was very proud of him, but I said, Henry, I was cool before you were even born. He said, you were cool before I was born? What does that look like? I said, here's what it looks like, working 12 hours, coming home to a screaming baby, bringing the baby to the hospital, coming back, sleeping one hour, driving 40 miles, and then doing this all over again. He says, okay, I get it. I have my own kids. You were cool before you were born. Was your mother cool before you were born? I said, yes. No, and it was cool before I was born. We all have an individual race. If you're a young person today, you're running a race. If you're a teenager, you have a race to run, and nobody can run your race. I was a track runner. And when I was a track runner, never in my life had anybody ever beaten me except my black friend, Tom Jones. And yes, I don't know if he was named after the famous singer, but he always beat me and my French-Canadian friend, Roger Dupuy. But you know what? I always ran with them because they served as an inspiration and a mentor to me. Every young man needs an older brother to mentor that man. Every young man needs to mentor a, a, a teenager and a young person. The Bible teaches us that, that the holy women of God uh, are gifts to the church. Older women have gone through battles. They've gone through life, and they have, uh, they have the privilege of mentoring maybe younger mothers or, or younger uh, ladies. And so uh, we need mentors and we need mentors who don't quit. And today, the word of God is going to reveal to us the results of pressing on to the goal of serving Jesus. Because you and I were saved not only to uh, escape the flames of hell, but we were saved 
to serve a Savior who came to serve the and give his life a ransom for many. Amen? In, in Luke and in Mark, Jesus said, I have not come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. And so as we are Christ followers, then what, is, what does our life look like to a, a, a watching world, a people at work, a people at school, a people in your neighborhood? How do, I, how do they look at us? Do they see us like Jesus? Do they see a, a lives that are serving a community to bring them to, to a saving knowledge of, of, of Christ and peace with God our Father? The world needs Christ-like examples that will change their lives. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, if you look there with me in the text, forgetting those things that are behind, I press toward the goal, the goal, what is that, the goal? The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In order to press on and win the prize of God's call, we need to do three things this morning. And we need to do them every day. We need to forget, we need to forgive, and we need to lay hold on Jesus. We need to forget some things, we need to forgive many things, all things, and we need to get a grip on Jesus as he got a grip on our life the the moment that he saved our souls. This morning, we're going to dive into the text, and we're going to discover how we can resolve, make a resolution to put things uh, in the past so we can take control of the present and experience an amazing future that God has planned for you and I before we were ever born. The writer of of this text is the Apostle Paul, and you remember in your previous study of the Bible, that the historical background of this, Paul is writing uh, in a Roman prison, and he's full of joy. Now, for God's sake, how can you be thrown in a rotten, miserable prison with no air conditioning, with no decent food, with everybody hating you, and you're full of joy, unspeakable, and full of glory? The Apostle Paul, everyone that met the Apostle Paul met a, a, a Y in the road. You know, like, I was driving here today, I saw different signs. One was a, you know, a, a sign, be, care, be very careful, because there's a 5% grade. Sometimes you'll drive, and haven't you ever seen a sign, sign where there's, there's a sign like this? And, and that's what the cross is all about, isn't it? When people meet Jesus, they're, they're driving down the road of life and they meet Jesus, they, they meet you, a follower of Jesus, they hear the gospel of Jesus, they, they read a gospel track, or, or they remember something that someone said to them, and they've got a decision to make. Well, Paul had an encounter with Jesus, as many of us have had. He had a cataclysmic, life-altering, forever-changing encounter with the one he hated the most. Listen, Saul of Tarsus is the last person in the world that you would ever think in your neighborhood that would become a Christian. I don't know if you remember that, uh, that old song, 
We are the people in your neighborhood. We're in your neighborhood. We're in your neighborhood. You know, we have people in our neighborhood uh, who, who have never met Jesus. And you know when they're going to meet Jesus? When they meet you. And, and, and so Saul of Tarsus gave his heart and life to Christ. And, and Jesus, when he takes over a boy's life, a girl's life, a man's life, a woman's life, that change is unbelievable. And everybody that met Paul knew either Jesus was real because nobody could fake a conversion like that. How do you take someone who had blood all over their hands, who murdered, maybe you're, let's just go back in time and make believe we're, we're the Christians <clears throat> living in those days. And, and nobody wants this guy to preach. Nobody wants this guy to teach Bible study because they remember the terrible punishment that they endured from that man. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man is in Christ, if any woman is in Christ, that man or woman, boy and girl, is a new creature. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen? Man, when people met Saul, <coughs> thank God Barnabas believed in his conversion because Barnabas brought him to the apostles they were scared to death to meet this guy. They didn't know if he was going to come there and this was going to be a, a fake conversion and they were going to lose their lives. But you know what, you, know what people cannot uh, uh, argue with? No unsaved person or any person that's God-fearing that's not yet been born again, nobody can uh, argue what God has done in your life. When you share what Christ has done in your life, my son... Uh, visited someone uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday, and he was doing business with this person. And um, my son Henry witnessed to this person for about four or five hours, and um, and he shared the gospel. And I, I gave my son Henry a Bible to to give to this businessman. But but what captivated this businessman was was my son's testimony that he's gone through a lot of hard things in life. And yet he's following hard after Christ. You know, Paul is writing in miserable conditions. Maybe right now you're in a, a place in your life where things are not going well, physically, emotionally, financially. You're going through bad times today. Well, the Bible has great news for you. And, and, and Paul is full of joy in a prison, and he's going to explain why he's full of joy in that prison. It's around the year 62 A.D. Paul, in his second missionary journey, you remember that he had a dream and in a vision, excuse me, had a vision, and in the vision that the Holy Spirit gave Paul, uh, Paul wanted to go to uh, Pontus, to northern Asia in Turkey, but the Holy Spirit at this time forbade him to go there. And so he had this vision, God gave him a vision of a man from Macedonia, and you probably remember this, this man said, come and help us, right? So, so God gives you and I visions, and he gives us visions from the word of God. He speaks into your spirit and our spirit from what you've studied in the word of God. Have you not experienced throughout the course of your Christian life, God speaks to you, deep calls unto deep, and the Spirit speaks through your spirit, 
reminding you of what you read in in the scriptures. God had a vision for Paul, and today God has a vision for every sister and brother in this local assembly. I don't care how long you've been living, how young you are, how much experience or lack thereof you have. God has a a, a vision for you to reach the lost. How do I know this? Well, you remember in Acts 16, God gives a vision and performs a miracle and starts a church. You know the, the law of cause and effect. You can't have an effect without a cause. You can't have a cause without a first cause. And the first cause in theology is God. God gives us the word. God gave Paul a vision. Come over and help us. So Paul obeys the vision. And when you and I obey the vision of God, when we obey what we have learned in the scriptures, and and, and faith um, is something that you can't touch. It's some, it's, in, in Hebrews, it says it, it's the evidence of things not seen. And so, so Paul goes into uh, Philippi. And in Philippi, he's looking for a man. But instead, he finds women washing clothes at the river. You know the story where in Acts 16, God opens up the heart of a woman named Lydia. Paul's thinking, where's the men? Where in God's name are the men? Lydia gets gloriously saved. And the first church in the continent of Europe was not planted by a man. It was planted by a woman. Ladies, can I get an amen? Somebody talk to me. Thank God for the ladies. Amen? Read, read the last chapter of Romans. Two-thirds of, of, the, uh, hero, of the heroes are heroines. I don't mean the drug. I mean the women that turned the, uh, the world upside down for Christ and raised up boys and girls who were on fire for Jesus. And by the way, I was excited to hear that little mini concert by those children. Can we just give them a hand? That was wonderful. Thank you very much for serving God at a young age. God, God, he doesn't just have a plan for you in the future. Your plan is now. Thank you for obeying God. And so... Paul gets there, he shares the gospel with Lydia, the other, and, and, and so he's still looking for the, this man. He's in the, the city of Philippi. We're going to get to this text in the message. Uh, I just want to give you a historical background. Where's the man? He sees this woman crying out every day, these men uh, tell us the way of salvation. Next day, these men tell us the way of salvation. Finally, Paul gets so irritated and aggravated uh, because of this demon-possessed woman, that he performs an exorcism. You know what? This woman gets saved. Where's the men in this church? Paul finds out everybody's got issues. And then he preaches the gospel. And you know the story? They throw him in jail. Where's the men? Where's the man in this church saying, come over and help us? The man is in prison. His name is the Philippian jailer in Acts 16, uh, verses 20 and 31. He finally finds the man. God sends an earthquake. The, uh, the, 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 the prison guard says, well, I might as well kill myself now because as a Roman guard, because Philippi was a Roman colony that worshipped Caesar, he said, well, I don't understand what's happening, but the prisoners are going to escape. I might as well kill myself now. And you know the story where Paul says, 
do thyself no harm. We're all here. And he falls down and he says, what must I do to be saved? Now, how in God's name could a Greek Philippian ask a question like that? It wasn't talking about being saved uh, physically. He, uh, they were all still alive. Whoa. He was asking about how can I experience the gift of eternal life? How did he, why did he ask that question? Because he heard Paul and Silas worshiping God, and they were probably worshiping salvation songs, kind of like the song. By the way, I really love that song, Blessed Assurance. I need to make that my, my alarm clock song. Maybe some of the kids can help me after service. I love that song. But they were hearing songs about Christ and, and, and salvation in Christ. And when that man's life was miraculously saved, when he was prevented from committing suicide, he gave his life to Jesus. That was the fulfillment of the vision. Aren't you glad you're in First Baptist Church of Coleraine? You are experiencing the, the, the fulfillment of the Christians who had a vision for a Baptist church here 200 some odd years ago. You are the answer to their prayers. Ain't it great? You're experiencing the blessing of the prayers of people 160 years before we were even born. Where's the man? So you know the story of the man. He gets saved. He can't even believe he survived an earthquake. He gives his life to Christ. Acts 16 says, he told his whole family what happened. Every single one of them turned away from their sins. That's the first church in Philippi. That's who Paul in a Roman prison is, is, is talking about. These people, their conversion was unbelievable. And, and, the, and the messenger of, the, uh, of, of this epistle is Epaphroditus, who almost died in prison. And Paul prayed for him. So he brings the message, and he's talking to them about a race. See, because Paul's race is about to come to an end. He's in prison. Some um, Bible students believe he was imprisoned twice. And so if this is the first imprisonment, he doesn't know if he's going to make it out alive. And so he doesn't know how long his race is. Let me ask you a question. Do you know how long your race is? I used to run cross country. I told you this probably uh, last year. The senior used to run with me and, and because most people would quit. And uh, he said, you know, a lot of freshmen, they talk the talk. Next week later, they're gone. How many of you, don't raise your hand because it's embarrassing. But, but you understand what I'm getting at. How many of us have met Christians that talked the talk and then something happened and they walked away from Jesus for a time and a season? Now listen, if that's you and you've come back, um, hallelujah. I'm not saying that to embarrass you. I'm not saying that to beat you up. What I'm saying is um, that God has a race for you and he intends when you start this race that you finish it. And so... When I ran cross-country, they told me, uh, in this sport, losing is not an option. And in Christianity, we do fall. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and we fall, and God picks us up. When we repent, we move on. Can I get an amen? But when, when we fall, we're not meant to sit there for years, just, just, just wallowing 
in, in sorrow. We need to run our race because if you don't run your race, your mother's not going to run it for you. Can I get a witness? Right? Right? Men, we're the heads of our, our, our families, right? If, if, if we flunk out, that's just going to hurt our wives. It's going to hurt our kids. It's, if, if grandmothers and great-grandmothers, you listen, you deserve great honor. Older men and women, because you've been walking with Jesus. You've taken many arrows. You have so much to give to younger people. And you know what they appreciate the most? That you, don't, that you never quit. You fell down, but you got up. You dusted yourself off, and you kept running with Jesus. Amen? You know what? I never lost a race. I'm not, I'm not I'm just, in, in our school, we never lost a race in nine years. You know why? We were scared to death to lose. And you know what? Maybe that's a good lesson for us as Christians to be scared to death to lose. To be scared to death to bring dishonor to the blessed Jesus who gave his life for us. When Jesus was on the cross, did he say, no, no, no. One nail's enough. I, I'm, you know what? I'm done with this. <clears throat> Jesus, we sing that song. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. And so as Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, you and I have a race, and, and, and sometimes in a cross-country race, running downhill is, is groovy. It's easy. But when you got to run uphill, when you got to run uphill and you're sucking wind, that's when you, you, your, your, your brain says, you're out of your mind. You need to pull over and call 911. But, but the Spirit of God takes over and helps us to finish our race. So let's look in verse 12, in verse 12, uh, look at the problem in verse 12. In verse 12, uh, Paul says, not that I've already attained all of this. What has he not all, already attained? Well, to, you know, he knows Jesus, but he wants to know him more. He, he, um, he, he says, you know what, guys? I haven't, I haven't arrived. Even though I'm the apostle Paul, I remember where I came from. You know what, you know what? the church needs more of humility and repentance. Can I get an amen? Remember the movie, um, the, the trilogy, Indiana Jones? Indiana, Indy. And you got the, you got Indy, Indy. Why, why, why seven heads all over the place? And he reads his father's note. Only the penitent will pass. So he gets down on his knees and he humbly crosses, and he, has his, he still has his head in his life. How are you and I going to make it all the way into heaven? By the grace of God, and by walking before God and people in humility. Because only the humble will make it across the finish line. And so we need to focus on responding to God's call of serving him. Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, here I am, send me. Have you responded to God's call on your life to serve him? He said, I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ made me his own. I want to share with you uh, something entitled a running plan. Uh, this was uh, Pastor Gordon McDonald, the former pastor of... Um, church in Lexington, Mass. Grace Chapel. He said, when I first ran track in prep school, my coach invited me to his home for dinner. You know that when your coach invites you to, 
his house for dinner, that you're in big trouble. He's just buttering you up. And the coach said, I have before me all the races that you're going to run in the next four years. Here are the times that you will achieve. I looked at those times. I was light years away from that as a runner. Then the coach began turning the pages of that book, page by page, month by month, showing 42 months he scheduled workouts. They were graduated, accelerated plans for my increasing skill on the track in the coming months. Coaches and other leaders know the necessity of strategic, long-term planning. Similarly, a wise and all-knowing God has a strategic plan for every brother and sister in this church. Amen? God loves you more than you love yourself. God is not done with you. You know, my, my wife said when her grandmother, she grew up in a Baptist church, and, and she gave her life to Christ later on in her life. She said, Betsy, God's not done with you until they throw the dirt in on you. But in, as long as you're alive, as long as God is pumping blood through your cardiovascular system, you are a champion, you are indispensable, and Christ needs you to tell other people about his mercy and his salvation. And so, focusing on responding to God's call. Paul focused, you know what he said? He said, I, I pray, I'm not there yet, I'm not what I, what I want to be, but I'm not a quitter. Nobody likes a, no one likes a quitter unless you're quitting smoking. But other than that, nobody, no, no coach wants a quitter. No wife wants their husband to be a quitter and run out on them and the, and the kids, vice versa. No employer wants their, hey, is this the first day you worked? Yeah. You know what, Doss? Uh, uh, I'm quitting in five minutes. Nobody wants a quitter. What the world needs is, is commitment. In Italian, we say limpegno. Commitment is like glue. It's what keeps a mother loving their kids when their kids are driving her insane. Husband and wife, employer. When you're, when, when you're committed, you're going to make it across the finish line. So Paul says, you know what? I'm focusing on responding to God's call uh, on my life. And I'm asking you today. By the way, I walked into a a wonderful Bible study. One of the brothers in this church was leading a Bible study. That brother answered the call on, on his life. And I know that there are other sisters who, who are ministering in song, and we have deacons, and I, I know that many are serving here, but I'm just preaching to the ones who, are, who, who, who need to be serving and might be afraid to serve, might be afraid to get into the race. Let me encourage you. To, to, to press on, focus on responding to God's call in your life. And, and in verse, um, in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, you know, Paul was talking about if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. You know what? We, we need, not, first of all, to focus on responding to God's call. Secondly, we need to forget and forgive. I need to forget and forgive myself and others. Don't raise your hand because all our hands would be up. There are people in your life that have stabbed you in the back, that have mistreated you, that have not honored you, that have hurt you, your wife, 
your kids, your church, your boss, your friends. And as human beings made in the image of God, we don't like that. You don't have to teach a little boy and a girl. Uh, when they see things that are done, when, when children see injustices, you know what they say? The famous three words, that's not fair. That's not right. Why do little kids say that? Because they have a conscience and they're made in God's image. And every teenager, every young person knows the difference between right and wrong. And so Paul had to forgive himself. Can you imagine being Paul with all the people you killed? Can you imagine when Jesus called him to run his race? He's probably thinking, are you kidding me, Jesus? Do you know? Oh, yes, you do know. You know the terrible things I've done. How? Why would you ever call me? You know what? Paul had to forgive himself. And you and I, we have to forgive ourselves of things we did in the past. We hurt ourselves. We hurt other people. We can't run the race. We trip and fall on our face and, and, until we forgive ourselves. And we must forgive others. That's the hard part, especially if you're Italian like me. But God wants us to forgive people. Forgive and forget and move on. He says there in verse um, 13, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind. That doesn't mean you've, you, you've had a lobotomy. That doesn't mean you forgot the terrible things people did to you. You, you can't forget. But by God's grace, you can overcome the pain. The paralyzing pain of the past is used by Satan to prevent you from running your race now and in the future. I'll say it again. Satan uses the paralyzing pain of the past to paralyze us from running our race now and in the future. So if we're going to run this race, we gotta, we got to deal with the ball and chain. And the only way you deal with the ball and chain is to take the key of forgiveness, forgiving people that don't deserve forgiveness, like I didn't deserve forgiveness, and we move on. Amen? Easier said than done, better done than said. And so we focus on responding to the call. We forget and forgive others. But we must forge ahead in verse 14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now this call is, is spoken of in different passages of scripture in the New Testament. The call that Paul received was a call to be an apostle. But before he was an apostle, he was a disciple. Before Deacon Grant was a called to be a deacon, he was called to be a disciple. Before he was called to be a disciple, he, he was a Christian. And, and so Christians are like little babies. We're, 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 we're newly born. You, don't, you would never ask one of those precious little children uh, you know, to do the work of an adult. That wouldn't be fair. But eventually we grow up. We go from being saved, a Christian, to becoming a disciple, putting on the armor of God, and then accepting responsibility. And so... My, my challenge to you today is to forge ahead. And Dr. Harold Wilmington said, quote, 
experiencing Christ as the believer's life prize. Christ is our prize. And the call that Jesus has given us, he's given us holy, high, and and a wonderful call. He's given you a call to serve the Lord in this local church. Some of you are called to be amazing prayer warriors. You know what? Without prayer, nothing happens. The last five days in Asbury University, teenagers, young kids, and you've probably seen this on Facebook, there is a revival in in Asbury University. The last time there was a revival there was in the 70s during the Jesus Revolution. There are kids who have been going to prayer meeting for five days in a row, 24 hours a day. People are repenting before God. They have asked other brothers and sisters to forgive them of things that they may have done. People are weeping, and no one is preaching. They're praising God. They're worshiping God. God is doing something great in America, in New England, all over the earth, where people are ready to run a race. God will give you responsibilities in this race. Lastly, I want to leave you with this illustration called Pressing On, Pressing On. I remember there was a song back in the 80s. Nobody's going to break my stride. Nobody's going to hold me down. Oh, I got to keep on. Am I the only one who knows that song? Do you remember that song? I do because my son Henry used to sing it all the time. Henry, okay. Oh, I want to sing it again. And I thought about that when I was writing this sermon. Nobody's going to break my stride. Are you going to make that your your battle song, your battle cry, nothing in life is going to break my stride by the grace of God. Hell and high water, tragedy, trials, and tribulation, by God's grace, I'm going to run my race until I drop dead into the arms of Christ and see his blessed face. Now, this last illustration, I share this with you because I wanted to encourage you. As I walk past um, outside a wall of the office building where I work, I was amazed to see a beautiful flower growing up through a crack between the concrete slabs covering the ground. Despite its deprived circumstance, the plant had found a foothold, rooted itself in the dry crevice, and amazingly was flourishing. Later I noticed Up above me, an air conditioning unit located directly above the plant was dropping water on it throughout the day. While its surroundings were very hostile, the plant received the help it needed from water from above. Growing in the Christian life can be very, very difficult. But when we persevere with Christ, barriers are surmountable. Our circumstances may be terrible, and unfavorable in my life and in your life today. And discouragement may seem to be the greatest obstacle. Yet if we press on in our relationship with the Lord, we can flourish like that little plant in the crevice. This was the experience of the Apostle Paul. And you know what he said? I take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold on me. As I close, I want to drive this point home. He said, 
a play on words in this passage. He says, I've, I've not already attained. He said a couple times, I press on. And then he says, I've, I'm, I've not yet taken hold. What, what, because this whole uh, epistle of Philippians in this chapter is about your and my Christian maturity. You and I have not already arrived. We're not where we want to be. Right? We're, we're moving on the upward way. New heights we're gaining every day. And as we seek Christ, we know we're heaven-bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. But Paul said, I am laying hold. Now, this Greek word means, it's almost like a death grip. It's like a mother, when you go outside, I don't advise mothers to do this, but um, if you're outside and your kids are uh, skating on the pond, or if you're fishing on the pond, and you start hearing, what does a mom do? Grabs the kids with a death grip. We're going to the shore. Mommy, I want to catch fish. The heaven with the fish. I'm keeping you alive. Amen, moms. Amen, dads. Paul said, I, I'm pressing on. I'm like a runner in a race. I'm you. I'm struggling. I'm straining. I am. I. I haven't yet. I'm gonna grab Jesus and His grace. Why? I'm gonna. I'm gonna take hold of Jesus like He took hold of me the day He saved my soul. The day Jesus Christ saved your soul was the day that the Son of God, who created us in our mother's womb, grabbed you once and for all with a mission to serve him, with the gifts that are uniquely given to you for you to discover, develop, and deploy in this church. I would ask that you would consider these things. In conclusion, focus on not being distracted by the world and serve Jesus now, because someday you won't. Secondly, forget and forgive everybody who hurts you, Get rid of the ball and chain and press on. Thirdly, forge ahead and see Christ at life's finish line. Lastly, your future with Jesus should motivate you now to grow and to be a mentor to others. Let's bow. Father, we bow our heads and right now, Lord, we just, we thank you that the Apostle Paul in a terrible situation was ministering to the Philippian Christians. And here we are 2,000 years later, and though, like Abel, though he's dead, yet he speaks, and you have spoken to us through your word. Lord Jesus, please help us to run this race, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Help us, Lord Jesus, to forget, forgive, and follow you and your future for our life. And as a benediction, I just want to pray this over my brothers and sisters. May the mighty one who has done great things in our lives, whose mercy goes on from generation to generation, when life's perils confound you, may his counsel guide you beneath his wings, protect you, and may God be with you until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for tuning in. You can find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you find podcasts. We'd love for you to join us at the First Baptist Church in Coleraine. 
for Sunday morning worship at 11 a.m. We are located at 81 Foundry Village Road, Coleraine, Massachusetts. If you have any questions or inquiries, please feel free to call the church at 413-624-8886. Hope to see you soon. God bless.